This is Wednesday night Bible study here at the Pine Level Pentecostal Witness Church with our youth pastor, Reverend Brian Towton, bringing the message tonight, Mind Games. Here's Brother Brian. thing on? It is, it is. Hey, how are y'all? Um, hey, I'm Pastor Brian. I'm the youth pastor. Farrell Hardison, Pastor Farrell here on the front row. I'd like to welcome y'all to church tonight. We are going to pray and then I'm going to preach a little bit. Uh, let's go to the Lord real quick first. Though. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us here tonight. Lord, we thank you for our safety. Lord, we pray for those that aren't here with us. Lord, we pray that you keep them safe. We pray that you're with them, just wherever they're at and whatever it is that they need, Lord, be with them. And I pray that they feel your presence tonight, Lord. I know you're here with us tonight, Lord, and I pray that you just use me as your microphone and just whatever it is that you need to say, Lord, you say it. I know you've been preaching to me all week, and Lord, I hope that I do. I pray that I convey this message in the way that you've conveyed it to me tonight. Lord, we thank you. For all that you're doing and the way you love us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I heard about a man that was just fed up and he was frustrated living in this world. He was tired of all the troubles and all the pressures that he dealt with. Because, you know, we have troubles, don't we? And Lord, we have pressure. So he decided that he was going to go live in a monastery. He was going to join the monastery. So he got there, and they said that one of the requirements is that you have to take a vow of silence. You can only speak two words once a year. Two words once a year. I mean, he is not from Johnston County, is he? So after his first year, he met with his superior, and the superior said, All right, buddy, you've been here for a year. What do you, what do you got to say? What, what, are you, what do you got to tell me? He said, Bed hard. Cool. Okay. So he stayed there another year. And um, his authority figure came up and said, All right, brother, what you got today? This is your one time this year. What have you got? He said, Food bad. <coughs> so he stayed there a third year and came back, and it was his turn again. And the guy said, All right, it's your third year. You've got two words. What are you going to say? He said, I quit. The man said, you're going to quit? I quit. He 
He said, why ain't you surprised? You ain't done nothing but complain the entire time you've been here. So, so tonight, we're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about life. That was good to me. That was good to me. So we're going to talk about life. Y'all give me some grace because it has been a day. Has anybody else in here had an absolute day today? I mean, it's like my fifth Monday this week, and it's only Wednesday. Um, I got woke up last night at 3.30. My mind just, I just woke up. I don't know why. There's not a whole lot going on, but it just woke me up. But, um, you know, when you think about your thoughts, when you think about your mind, our lives are typically going in the direction of our thoughts, don't they? If we think bad thoughts, what is our day going to do? We're going to have probably a bad day. If we wake up and we're just as chipper as a bee and in a good mindset, we're probably going to have a good day, aren't we? What we think shapes who we are. And, and that's no exaggeration. Our lives do follow the direction of our thoughts. The better we grasp that truth, the better equipped we'll be to change our lives. We'll change the whole direction in the way our life is going. We'll have a, change, a whole life change. But don't just take my word about it, because both of the Bible and modern science both point to this fact. And they both agree on this as well. So tonight we're going to unlock, we're going to unpack Scripture and we're going to also unlock some scientific research and see just how these guys measure up. Because a lot of times, I mean now in 2023, how often do the scientists and the Bible folks agree? I mean it's not very often, right? So tonight we're going to open up and we're going to see what Apostle Paul says about this. We're in Philippians 4, 8 through 9, and we're going to be here for about a half a minute. And I'm going to be, if you know me at all, you know I'm all over the place, and we're going to be all over the place tonight. So Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So in these three sentences, we see here that Paul moves from thought. He tells us to think about such things. Then he talks about action. Put it into practice. And then lastly, he tells us about the experience. The God of peace will be with you. Paul tells us that our thoughts shape our lives. In recent years, there's been a huge breakthrough in modern psychology, and it's, been, it's called the cognitive behavioral therapy. Stephen, I'm sure you've heard of this. This breakthrough teaching reveals that many problems, from eating disorders to relational challenges to um, addictions and even some form of depression and anxiety, they're rooted in the faulty and negative patterns of our thinking. And treating those problems begins with changing your thinking. And I don't know where you guys are at with this, but I know with me, having my psychology background, when the Bible and psychology meet head-to-head, -head, I am all in. 
because both of those things are really, really interesting to me. So you see what science is demonstrating today is exactly what God told us through King Solomon 3,000 years ago. Proverbs 20 through 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever you think in your heart, that's what you are. That's who you are. So both the Bible and modern science are teaching us that our lives are moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Then we need to ask ourselves, do I like the direction my thoughts are taking me? If your answer is no, it's time to change our thinking. Maybe it's time to decide to change your mind so God can change your life. And if you're skeptical, that's cool. I get it. I get it. We have all unsuccessfully tried to change our bad habits and force our runaway trains of thoughts back onto the right track. That's what I did last night at 3.30. I was trying to get my mind back right. So we're about to discover that God will team up with us to help transform our thinking. And with God's help, you can transform your mind. You can stop believing the lies that hold you back. You can end the vicious cycles of thoughts that are destructive to not only yourself, but to others as well. You can allow God to renew your mind by saturating you with his unchanging truth. So the first tool that we're going to look at is called the replacement principle. And I'm still in a whole lot of... I'm still in a whole lot of your thunder because this is based off of Matthew 4. And there's going to be a big chunk. And if y'all been, been in church lately or if you've been watching online and following us there, y'all know that Pastor Farrell's really been hitting this hard with the victory over temptation. And that's kind of where we're kind of rubbing elbows and he just didn't know it. So in Matthew 4, we read about Jesus. He's been baptized and he's heading into the desert. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is when Satan comes to him to tempt him. Because um, Satan knew that Jesus had to be hungry. I mean, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, right? When I fast for 40 minutes, I'm hungry. So I couldn't imagine 40 days. So Satan told him to turn the stones into bread. Just like he did with Adam and Eve, Satan was trying to get Jesus to do something that wasn't part of God's plan for his life. And if I'm, if I'm being real with you, that's what he's trying to do with us. He's trying to get us something to get us to do something that's not in God's will. Jesus then said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here he was quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. So, Satan, smart, right? Satan's smart. He realized that his first plan had failed, so he's going to try again. So he attacked Jesus from a whole different angle which is also what he does to us, isn't it? Same method, new try. New level, new devil. The devil took Jesus to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem and dared him to throw himself off. Satan decided that two can play this game, so Satan came back with Psalms 91. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they should bear you up, lest, your foot dash, lest you dash your foot against the stone. That was Matthew 4, 6. Yes, 
Satan knows the Bible as well. And he wanted to tempt Jesus to prove he wanted to tempt Jesus to prove he was truly God's son by forcing God to show evidence of his love and care. But Jesus stayed on point and he simply said, It's written again. You should not tempt the Lord your God. He pulled that from, he was quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. And, as we all know, that didn't work either. So Satan tried a different way to get into Jesus' head. And again, Satan tries a different way to get in our head. He brought Jesus to a tall mountain and showed him the kingdom of the world and offered to give it all to him if Jesus would bow down and worship him. At this point, Jesus has had a, enough. He says, away from me, Satan. And then he quoted Deuteronomy 6:13, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only should you serve. So if Jesus did that, and Pastor Farrell has told us to do this, we should probably do this too, shouldn't we? Three times in three separate instances and in three separate temptations, Jesus exposed Satan's lie and engaged the truth of God's word that he had been memorizing since he was a young Jewish boy. So the first tool we can use to renew our minds and transform our lives, like I said, is the replacement principle. What that is, you remove the lies and you replace them with truth. Pull out what Satan says about you and put in what God says about you. Once you grasp that tool, that weapon, we can begin to use it to regularly change our mind and to start changing our life. Jesus' clear example for us is in Matthew 4 is why it's essential that we know the Bible. As followers of Christ, we must prioritize reading the Bible. We must join Bible studies and get the Word of God into our hearts and get so we can pull out our sword against the enemy with any lies that he tells us. So the second principle is going to be the rewiring principle. So a while back, and Mary Catherine don't know this. Here we go. Yes, sir. I made a vow that I would stop obsessing over text and emails. As soon as I see a notification, there's two kinds of people in this world. One of us, hey buddy, one of us, as soon as we see a notification on our phone, we'll check it. And then the rest of the crazy people will have just loads of just, I mean, like, so today I was riding with a co-worker of mine named Josh. He said, hey, grab my phone and pull up that email and check it. Well, you know, when you pull up somebody's smartphone now, they got apps everywhere. You can't find nothing. I was like, well, where's your email at? He's like, it's easy. Just look for the notification that's got 2,895. Man, I'd go bananas, y'all. Anyway, so I have this issue where if I get a message, I would check it immediately. Shotgun. And when I did, I would read and reread what they said, and then when I rewrote, I'd have to write and reread and rewrite and ask Mary Catherine and all the things. So, long story short, my digital, last, my digital resolution lasted about that long. And I'm not sure that I ever even stopped obsessing over texts and emails. Not only did my vow not last, I didn't even start. 
How many of y'all have ever done that? You can raise your hand because every single one of us. New Year's resolutions last, what, two days? I mean, they, they just don't. Um, but the problem, the problem that we have is how we go about attacking the problems is that we go after the problems. We focus on the behavior by making a commitment to start or stop doing something. And we've all done it. We've all decided, perhaps even declared, that things were going to change. Today, I'm going to start eating healthy. Today, I'm going to start exercising. Today, I'm not going to open that bottle up. Today, I'm not going to cuss at my neighbor. I mean, I, I can go on and on and on. I'm tired of wasting my time on social media and comparing my life with everybody else's. So today, I'm done with social media. That's it. This is the last time. I'm never looking at that again. So, I mean, you know, we can go on and on and on. And whatever our valve is, how, how does that go, though? I mean, it doesn't last very long, does it? And I would guess not well. And the reason why is because behavior modification doesn't work because we're focusing only on modifying the behavior. You don't get to the root of the problem, which is the thought that produces that behavior. To be more specific, the problem is in the neural pathway that leads to that behavior. So let's say that you have an ugly tree in your yard, and you want that ugly tree gone. And you decide that the time has come that you're going to take care of this problem. So you call your son-in-law, you get his chainsaw, and you go out there that you haven't given back, and you go out there and you cut a branch off of this tree, right? And you come in, you're feeling like the man. You've went out there, you've cut a branch off this ugly tree, and it's going to go away. The next day you wake up and you're absolutely shocked because this tree is still standing in the yard. And you could almost swear that it's smiling back at you. So I know that analogy is a little off. But the fact of the matter is you would never try to kill a tree just by removing a branch, would you? No. The branch obviously isn't the problem. The tree is the problem. And if we go a step farther than that, the roots of the tree are the problem, aren't they? If you don't remove the root system, when you cut down the tree, it can still grow back. Well, if we decide, I'm going to stop yelling at my kids, or I'm going to stop isolating myself and living a lonely life, or I'm going to exercise every day, we're just sawing off a branch, aren't we? We are ignoring the real problem of the lie that we believe and the mental rut that we fall into. Attacking symptoms... Attacking only symptoms, not the source. And thinking I can change a behavior just by removing the behavior is foolishness. The behavior isn't the real problem here. The neural pathway that leads me to the behavior is the problem. If I stop a behavior, it's going to come back, and it's going to come back, and it's going to come back. Unless I remove the lie at the root of that behavior and replace that pathway that leads me to the behavior. So, awesome. Sounds great, Pastor Brian. What are we going to do? 
Where are we going to get them new thoughts from? Well, you're not going to get them from social media. You're probably not going to get them by phoning a friend. And you're probably not going to get them from watching the news. To stop the lies and replace them with the truth, we need to look at God's Word. Because that is the absolute truth. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When Satan tempted him, he couldn't just pull out his iPhone and go to the Bible app. He had to go back. He had to go back when he was a young Jewish boy memorizing the Old Testament. He had already internalized truths from God's Word that created a helpful neural pathway. When he was tempted, Jesus followed that path, leading him to obedience and freedom. And that's exactly what we need to do. So like I said, the second tool for changing your brain is the rewiring principle. If you rewire your brain, you will renew your mind. The third tool is the reframe principle. So the, the good news about the Bible is that it speaks to all of our problems. God's Word gives us truth that empowers us to break out of the old ruts of destruction and onto a new path that leads to life. So, a trigger for me is money. And it leads to fear and thoughts about how I don't have enough and what are we going to do in a week when this runs out and, you know, just that whole security blanket there. And when I'm triggered about money, I fall into a rut and that's the way my brain works. So I need to create a trench of truth. So I look at the Bible and I say, what does the Bible say that applies directly to my fears and my issues about money? Well, here's a few verses. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. Philippians 4.12 Zechariah 8.13 says that I will save you and you will be a blessing. Philippians 4.19 says, God will meet all your needs, all your needs, according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. So from these, I put together what I call a declaration. Kind of like a battle anthem, if you will. What I'm declaring to be true in the battle of the lies that are in my head. The ones that I'm tempted to believe. And the goal of this declaration is to have it become my new neural pathway my intentionally dug trench of truth. So here is my declaration. Money is not and never will be a problem for me. My God is an abundant provider who will meet all my needs. Because I am blessed, I will always be a blessing. I will lead the way with a rational generosity because I know it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. Like I said, that's just one of my declarations. So I invite you to draw your own from God's truth and make them your own. Be creative with it and write your declarations in a way that it will speak to you and remind you. And put them on your refrigerator, on your bathroom mirror, whatever you'll see them and read them so it'll help you fix that neural pathway. And write that declaration as if it were already true. Even if you don't fully believe it yet, with a new declaration we are claiming the victory that we have in Christ. And we need to create a neural pathway that affirms our ability to demolish the stronghold wins the battle. 
It's probably going to feel foolish at first, but anything new feels weird in the beginning. I mean, if you go out there and get on a bicycle, it is going to be like the first time you ever rode it. And it's cool. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. The gravitational pull towards your old habits will still be there. But keep resisting those lies. Keep renewing your mind with God's truth, and it will become true of you. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. So, with that being the case, Paul was a great, Apostle Paul was a great example for many, many, many things, but he was truly good at reframing things. And Paul, one of his good examples of when he was going to go to Rome, and he had a plan that he was going to get there and he was going to change the gospel and spread it to everyone. And in his mind, he was going to get to Rome, he was going to preach Jesus to the leaders there. And by doing that, the city could be a launch pad to spread the gospel all over the world. But when he finally got there, it was not to share Jesus with the government officials. He went there as a prisoner. He was locked up, he was under house arrest, and he was chained to a rotating set of guards. They changed out every eight hours, just like at the prison system. And he was awaiting a possible execution. Paul prayed for an opportunity, but it was not happening for him. You see, Paul's circumstances were out of his control, weren't they? If you've ever been in a jail or a prison, work or lift, either or, you know that circumstances there are always out of your control. And let's face it, we've all been where Paul was at, not so much physically, but mentally. You know, we've thought, if I just get this degree, I will get the job. Well, I got the degree, but I didn't get the job. You planned on being married by now, but you haven't found Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Or maybe you did find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but now maybe they're not exactly Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Everything went wrong. This is not the way my life was supposed to go. Maybe you've been praying for years for your prodigal child, but God has not answered that prayer yet. Paul was in this same situation. Circumstances he did not want and could not control. So he wrote to the church at Philippi about what was happening to him. What might have he said? Well, let's look at it all idea. So he could have written, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really, really stinks. I wanted to spread the good news through preaching to government officials, but that has not happened. As a result of this mess I've been through, I've decided that prayer doesn't work, and I'm never going back to church again. He could have said that, right? I mean, he is in prison for telling people about Jesus. But that's not what Paul wrote. It could have been, but it wasn't. Paul couldn't control what happened to him, but Paul could control how he framed it. So here's what he actually wrote in Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Paul says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. So, let's put this in the, uh, that was King James Version, New King James. 
Let's put it in the Brian Talton version. Paul said, I had a plan, but God had a better plan. This is a whole different way to advance the gospel than what I was thinking. God has blessed me with prison guards who are chained to me. They have no choice but to listen to me tell them about Jesus. These soldiers have the ear of influential leaders. And get this, every eight hours they chain a new guard to me. And they think I'm the prisoner here. God is moving and I can't wait to see what he does next. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Third principle, reframe. Reframe your mind and restore your perspective. So the last, the last tool I have is the rejoice principle. So we're still on Paul. He's still in prison, but not for crime, but for speaking about Jesus. And he's probably going to be executed. So he writes to his friends in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 4.4. 4. It kind of sounds like your mom, don't it? Because then he tells you again. Just in case you're not listening, he says, I will say it again, rejoice. And that's a great, great verse. A great verse. Um, it'd be perfect. You put it with some cursive font and put it on a coffee mug. You can put it on your refrigerator. You can write a greeting card and send it to Pastor Farrell. Rejoice in the Lord always. But if I'm being real honest with you, if I'm in the middle of a difficult situation, or if it's 102 degrees and I'm out on the side of I-40 changing my flat tire, I'm probably not rejoicing in the Lord always. Probably not. And one reason is, one, one thing about this is, the person that tells you this, do they rejoice in the Lord always? Um, and then you got to think about Paul. He was telling people to rejoice in the Lord, I'll rejoice, but was Paul rejoicing in the Lord always? From what Scripture says, he was. When he was in prison, he did. And Paul was with his buddy Silas. So picture this. Paul and Silas are thrown into this prison. And it's not like this new age prison now where it's Boy Scout camp. I mean, this was dirty, dirty prison. They're thrown in. They're laying on the cold, hard ground. I'm sure they have plenty of open wounds, probably a busted nose and broken ribs. There's no doctor. There's no nurse. There's no Band-Aids or ibuprofen. How many of us have been there? Maybe not physically, but mentally, emotionally. How many of us have hit the ground when somebody, when we found out that somebody we loved had cancer? How many of us have hit the ground when we found out that maybe our kids are on drugs or a brother or, you know, whatever the case may be? Or maybe your spouse did something that they shouldn't have done. Or maybe you did something that you shouldn't have done. We have all been there in those tragic moments. And what did we do? What did Paul and Silas do? Paul and Silas praised God. What was Paul doing in prison? He was rejoicing always. First of all, they were praising God for the who, not for the what. They were bloody. They were bound up in prison. And if you had asked them, what are you praising God for? I don't think they knew what they were praising God for. 
I don't think there was any what that they could really point to. I mean, nothing good was happening, but their God was still good. They weren't praising God for the what, they were praising Him for the who. And we can do that too. Your circumstances may be really, really, really bad, but your God is still really, really, really good. He is near. His promises are still true. His love is still unconditional. His grace is still absolutely amazing. His timing is still perfect. You may not like the what of what it is that's going on, but you can still praise God for the who of who He is. The second thing, they were praising God before the provision. So often we hold off on praising God until after whatever it is that we've been asking for, that breakthrough or that thing or that job or whatever the case may be. But let's think about this. I mean, we sound like a bunch of entitled four-year-old brats, don't we? Because I won't be grateful until I get exactly what I want. We're better than that. And more importantly, God deserves way better than that. Paul and Silas prayed God, praised God before he answered their prayers or changed their circumstances. And that's the person I want to be. I want to praise him in the hallway. All the way. Thirdly, they were praising God and then he showed up. Paul and Silas were worshiping God in the middle of the night and then, boom, the earthquake and the Lord showed up right there in that prison. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Acts 16.26 They did not praise God because He showed up. God showed up because they praised Him. When we praise Him, He will show up. And when He shows up, it will change our thinking. And if we change our thoughts, we change our life. That little teeny bit of trajectory. Because like you, every day I feel like I have more than I can handle. Today was absolutely one of those days. I woke up this morning at 3.30 for no reason of mine. I went to Greenville. I left Greenville at 5, right at 5. I was in Goldsboro at 5.30 and had to be here at 7. I haven't eaten either of my wife. But anyway, I rely on God to renew my mind. His truth is my battle plan. I continue to create new trenches of truth to replace my old ruts so they will give me pathways leading to life and peace. So my question to you tonight, right now, is where do you need Jesus? Where are your thoughts falling short of his life-given truth? Are you stuck in a negative, hurtful, and poisonous rut? What are you going to do? Well, it's very It's not easy, but it is easy. You're going to use the four tools that God has given us to fix our thoughts and to win the war in your mind. The first one, like I said, was the replacement theory. The second one, the rewire. Thirdly, reframe. And fourthly, rejoice. With these... You will remove the lie and replace it with truth. We know we have an enemy who is seeking to destroy us. His weapon is the lie. The reason because our weakness is believing this lie. And if we believe a lie, it will affect our lives and it will eventually be the truth in our head. And the problem is that we don't realize the lies that we believe are lies. 
And hopefully the lies you need to defeat are now true to you. Secondly, you will create new trenches of truth. Our brains have neural pathways, which are mental ruts we created through repeatedly thinking the same lie. You're not good enough. You're not fast enough. Maybe you're a little big. I don't know. You can make up your own. I don't have enough hair. I mean, just whatever you want to put there. But these trigger our automatic response to external stimuli. These lies in our head, when something happens, it shows how we're going to act about it. And to stop a behavior, we need to remove the lie behind it and replace the neural pathway. We dig trenches. And how do we dig trenches? By renewing your mind with God's truth. Thirdly, we're going to reframe. We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we perceive it. We all have cognitive biases that cause us to see things in a way that don't reflect reality. But we have the power to do cognitive reframing, changing how we view the past and changing how we view the future. Lastly, we're going to rejoice and we're going to change our perspective through prayer and praise. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by everything that is happening. But when we've had enough, God is enough. Not only is God enough, God is near. And we stay mindful of his presence. When we do that, it's going to lead us to pray. And praying changes our brain, as does praising God. Praying changes our brain. We praise him for the who of who he is, even if the what is not what we want. As we praise God, he shows up and gives us a peace of mind. So tonight, let's decide, let's make this our battle cry, that we will not think like the rest of the world. Instead, we will let God renew our mind. Because if we're being really, really honest, that's what's wrong with that world out there. They have not got any God in their mind. It's there for the little one that they put there. And it is not the same one that we praise. So instead of becoming fixated on what we see, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He made you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to carry you. He's going to strengthen you. And he's going to empower you to do what he has called. You're more than a conqueror through Christ. And God is more than enough. And nothing we can do can separate us from God's love. So if we let God change our thinking, God will change our life. Let's bow our heads, guys. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing here at Pine Level Church. Lord, we thank you for what it is that you're doing in each of us, Lord. And I pray that we all take this message to heart, Lord, because we know that you can change everything inside of us, Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes in here and he recreates a new us in our heart, Lord. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for this word, Lord. And I just... um. I pray for everyone here. I don't know what they're going through or where they need you in their life, Lord, but I pray that you touch them and just touch them right there where they need it most, Lord. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you like to come up? The Pine Level Pentecostal Church Incorporated, copyright 2023.